The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Green Walking Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. It is time for my favorite episode each month, where we get to put a character on trial. Last month we took a break to uh, review the complex history of Cerebro, which was a ton of fun and I learned a lot, but today we're back to the trial format. Although we are trying something new today. So far we've only put individual characters on trial. Today we're going to do a combo. Uh, We have uh, both Mastermind and Mesmero, who are two very different characters who weirdly have kind of similar power sets. So I thought we'd do the mind control slash rapey guys today. (laughs) We'll get it all done at the same time. I want to announce as we are beginning, we are going to be laughing and having fun in today's podcast, but I also recognize the extremely serious nature of some of the content that we're going to be sharing today. Some of the stories in this episode do involve issues of sexual assault uh, and uh, and the removal of will, which is a sensitive topic, particularly for people who are survivors of sexual abuse like I am. I am a therapist in my day job. I try to work in a safe space here, but this is comic booky stuff. At the end of today's episode, I'll announce what we're going to do to follow up to have a little bit more serious focus on this content. But for today, even though we will be serious, we will be laughing, and we want to treat this content as sensitively as possible. It is a fictional universe, uh, and we'll have some conversations about what that's looked like. But I do have a follow-up episode after this where we can uh, talk a little bit more about the seriousness of some of the content we're about to cover. So I'm uh, I'm grateful to our jury members who are willing to join us today, some of my favorite people and returning guests to the podcast. Um, as each of you introduce yourselves, let us know your name, your gender pronouns, where we might know you from. And a uh, question for today, if you could choose both a hero and a villain, who are your favorite telepaths? Uh, let's begin with Noelle. I'm Noelle, she, her. I host the X-Men Unraveled podcast. Um, as far as who my favorite telepaths would be, it's hard. I have. I feel like I have a harder time on the hero side. So I would say, if I have to pick, I will say Emma Frost. Um, love her. She's just, she's just great. I don't even know if it's her powers, but she's just amazing. As far as villains... I feel like I'm going to go with Professor X as my villain telepath. <laughs> it brings up a lot of questionable issues about telepaths. So I'm going to go with those two. Fantastic. Let's go to Derek next. Okay. Uh, my name is Derek Krinskin. Um, I'm he, him. Uh, I'm a novelist. Uh, people may know me from The Quantum Magician or The House of Sticks. Um, I was going to pick Professor X as my favorite hero, but I read the room, uh, 
And um, <laughs> I think my favorite telepath, and, and that gave me a second to really come to something I'm really sure of. Uh, my favorite telepath hero is Phoenix, and my favorite telepath villain is Dark Phoenix. Excellent. Uh, let's go to Alicia next. Hello, I'm Alicia. She, her, hers. Uh, you would know me from co-hosting the Ex-Wife podcast. And uh, I'm just echoing Noelle, Emma Frost. She's my fave, hands down. And I too love to hate Mia Charles Xavier. So <laughs> twins in that front. And then uh, Justin. Hey, I'm Justin. He, him, his. I am the other half of the Ex-Wife podcast with Alicia, and I would probably pick Emma, but I'm going to go Rachel because I love Rachel, and I think that we need more of her in stories, and just every time she's there, she's just amazing. And my favorite villain, uh, I love the Charles Xavier shade, but I also really enjoy how terrible the Shadow King is. Absolutely fair. And then uh, lastly, returning guest, but first time on a jury trial, my friend, uh, Mr. Corey Thompson. Hi, Corey. Corey. Hey, uh, I'm Corey. I just uh, said Thompson. I just called you my friend. Is, you did. I just I just called you my friend and then used your wrong last name. <laughs> Corey I've already Thompson. texted you my feelings about that. <laughs> I am uh, he, him. I The only thing anyone's seen me on is Gray Malkin. So... Uh, go back, listen to the other episodes. Uh, let's see. I'm not quite as versed in all the different characters of X-Men. Uh, so I have a very, a, a much smaller pool of people to choose from, but, uh, I'd like to think that on a, on a good day, Professor X could be considered a greater good, a greater good hero, uh, when it's all said and done at the end of the road, perhaps, who knows? Uh, and then as far as villains, I, I honestly, I'm not a hundred percent sure of the villains that have telepathic of a lot of villains that have telepathic powers. You're not going to so choose, uh, I looked up a quick Google search. I didn't want to, because we're going to talk about the things he's done, <laughs> but I considered that. So I did a quick Google search and I didn't think Mr. Sinister was telepathic, but, uh, he's definitely one of my favorite villains ever. Uh, after reading Hellions, I, I want to be his friend. Mr. Sinister <laughs> is like DNA stew. He just keeps adding new things to himself. So he like made himself a telepath. Uh, lastly, my name is Chad Anderson. I use he, him. Uh, I'm going to choose my favorite telepath is Moondragon, who is my favorite bitchy lesbian from Avengers and Defenders and Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, and uh, I'm also going to say the Shadow King is my favorite villain. He's just pure evil. We can take all human motivation away from him, and he unleashes everybody's dark, like, gothic sides. <laughs> their, their, like, S&M bondage sides always come out when he's in control. So he's a fun villain. Uh, okay, so we're going to launch into, as always, uh, kind of a preamble here that I've written up to talk about things. And then we're just going to chat for a few minutes before we jump into first the trial of Mastermind and then the trial of Mesmero. And let me state in advance, I've known about these characters for a long time. I literally have them both on the wall behind me, but I have never read their histories front to back. And I was shocked at how frequent the storylines turn towards sexual assault when you get to these characters, not just with these characters, but other characters with mind control powers. It was staggering. I, uh, I multiple times, my husband would be sitting eating breakfast or something. And I'm like, Oh my God, like this story that I just read, I, I just never had put it all in context. So some of the stories I hadn't read for a long time, 
So that's where the sensitivity comes in. Uh, okay, so the scariest superpower is mind control. The ability to read the mind is bad enough, but to be able to alter it, to change it to your own favor, in some cases, not just temporarily, but permanently. Imagine being able in real life to take what you wanted, who you wanted, to have the power to make sure no one ever knew it was you or to remember. It would be a constant temptation to take the easy path and never be discovered. Where would you get your moral code from if no one found out? Imagine being the victim of that, feeling yourself forced to submit to the will of another, to live with the memory of what you'd done if you were the one who perpetrated. When it comes to mind control, it can be difficult to distinguish between the heroes and the villains. Sometimes you get characters like Professor X, Emma Frost, Rachel Summers, even Karma, and many others who will regularly alter the minds of enemies, civilians, or allies when it suits their purposes. But they generally come across as heroes in the stories because their actions seem to be dictated by a greater good of some kind. Uh, I was just rereading a story, for example, where Jean Grey, during her Phoenix era, uh, goes to recruit K Kitty Pride, and her parents are freaking out because Kitty's been in danger, and Jean just deletes the knowledge that uh, they even know their daughter is a mutant. And uh, they just take her away, which is something Xavier did a lot. But you kind of assume it's for the greater good in those cases, even though it's problematic. Heroes are complicated, but villains are villains. There is a distinguishable difference between Professor X and the Shadow King, for example, or between Karma and the Games Master. The bad guys don't always get these complicated motivations. Most of them just take what they want. They are narcissists or evil. They want money or power or attention or sex or control or influence. A villain just takes what they want, can make you do what they want. And well, to me, that's the, that's the scariest kind of villain. So today we're going to be hosting two trials. The first is for Jason Wingard, better known as Mastermind. And then in the second half, we'll be focusing on Vincent, who's better known as Mesmero. No last name has ever been provided. Both characters needed a trial, but neither one had a full set of appearances that we need for a full trial. So I just thought we'd put them together in this format. Uh, before we uh, keep going, I again, again want to... Uh, just give a sensitive content warning and uh, just take care of yourselves as you're listening. If there are any triggering spaces for this, if you need support, feel free to reach out to me online. I'm always happy to chat. So I'm thrilled to be joined by my jury, my friends here, and we are going to start by uh, just after this preamble, let me hear some of your thoughts on this idea regarding telepathy and the way that it's portrayed in comics. Uh, any any thoughts anyone would like to share so far before we jump in with uh, with Mastermind first? It seems like an easy well to draw from <clears throat> when it comes to uh, what you can do or what's the scariest thing someone can do when they can control someone else's mind. Uh, because when we if we lose control or we we do things that we don't want to do, like. I feel like that's the ultimate, at least for me, that's the ultimate, that's the opposite of what you want. That's, there's nothing better than the freedom that you have and there's nothing worse than that freedom being taken away in some sort of way and you being outside of control of it. And a lot of these people have to be mindful of what they're doing sometimes as well, which that's a whole other thing, a stone to unturn, like watching, watching uh, from behind your own eyes, you do things that you know you wouldn't do or you don't want to do. Mm. Derek, go ahead. I think the thing oh, Alicia, then Derek. Sorry, Derek. <laughs> um, I think 
the thing that's really scary about telepathy is that it's one of it's one of the powers that people can use on you and you are unaware of either the fact that it's being done to you and and or who's doing it. So it's not really, I mean, aside from like, you know, us seeing Professor X put his hand to his head, like it's not a power that requires this like physical action to initiate it. So you might not know where it's coming from and it could last for any amount of time. People can use it from long distances. So I think, you know, and when I'm reading comics, I'm really aware of when the people who have this ability are using it without the knowledge of others and how often they justify that. And and that is one thing that I get really frustrated with. You know, it's like there are not many mutants or people with powers who can say that they're using their power without someone else knowing about it. And a lot of the, the people who do they they say like, oh, well, I had to do it. Like I had to take that yeah. information from you. And the thing, my biggest pet peeve with telepathy is though, is the idea of removing something from someone's mind because you think they no longer need that thing. So the conversation of, you know, what you were just talking about with, with Kitty's parents or instances where Charles Xavier would say like, well, this is a traumatic experience for you. So I'm going to remove it from your memory. So you don't have it. That's a choice that you're making not only to control that person in a moment, but also has ripple effects throughout their life. And that's probably this, those are the scariest things about telepathy to me. So yeah, while you were talking, Chad, um, I wrote down the question, like what makes you be good? And it reminded me a little bit of the Arthurian legend stuff, right? Because the 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 idea of chivalry at all came about because you had these knights and lords who just went out and might makes right, and they were you know pillaging and doing whatever they wanted, and um, you know the church and others were trying to make them behave and said, okay, like you've you, let's have this code of chivalry, let's use violence in these methods, let's you know do these other things, and let's have you know people punish you, and and the thing is if you are the thing from the fantastic four and you go around and beat everybody up they can still hate you and you can feel that social pressure right whereas as a telepath you can do something to somebody you can hurt them and then wipe their mind and then you don't have any of that that reaction that social pressure there's no pushback and so the consequences of being bad you don't get to feel if you don't want to and so that I think makes it like just in addition to what the other jury members have said, like just so much more worse and so much more tempting to just follow some sort of philosophy. Like <clears throat> the Nazis, for example, were really into Nietzsche because he had this Superman philosophy where it's like, if you're superior to somebody, go ahead and use it because that's what makes right, you know? And I can see that if you had this telepathy, that kind of a, you, you know, you can tie yourself in knots every day and hold yourself back, or then somebody can come along and say, no, if you're better or stronger, you should get to choose. And so I can see all of the telepaths being tempted with those sorts of um, philosophies, even if it's not somebody telling them, their own mind is going to be saying, why am I holding back? Yeah. Because um, there's no, they can erase social pressure. So yeah, it's super, um, super terrifying. I feel like it's the the textbook 
example of a slippery slope in powers, right? Once you start to push that line, what's going to stop you from going there again or to go further? Once you're comfortable with doing this one thing or, or putting your judgment in yourself over others, what's to keep you in check, If especially it's unknown to the general public? I mean, when whenever asked what superpower I would choose, I always say mind powers to blanket cover telepathy and telekinesis. That's my cheat, right? So I got to get two. But I don't know if I would be a hero or a villain. I'm not sure. Because, <laughs> you know, I like stuff. Uh, <laughs> I like um, so I, I see how if you had that ultimate power to be able to essentially do whatever you want in a society, to take whatever you want, to use it in whichever way, there's got to be constant temptation and pressure. And, and that's, you know, we joke about Professor X being a great villain. And I, I am always conflicted about just the pressure that he has being this figurehead, being this person that's trying to do something, but also has this ideation of who he is above others or who he is as a leader for the mutants that he's brought to his cause. Because I just, I feel like that's got to be constantly in the back of his mind of what could he have done to prevent this? How can he prevent something like this happening in the future and just living through that over and over? It feels like such a burdensome power. Like, you know, it, it kind of harkens back to the famous Spider-Man line with great power comes great responsibility because you have this obscene level of power over other people and, you know, potentially over large groups of people. Like, it, you know, I'm the first to talk shit about Professor Xavier, but like having that ability and when you feel like you're right and you feel like you're on the right side, it, it just opens so many temptations and you would have to be a very strong person and have very strong moral principles to try and rein in your own power. But then you think about on the other side, if you're around a telepath, like the one thing that we have, no matter what situation we're in is like the sanctity of our own mind. And being near a telepath means that you don't even have that anymore, which is terrifying. It, it's fascinating to consider the implications. I feel like we could have a two-hour, like, let's talk about the ethics of telepathy <laughs> episode. One of the interesting <laughs> things to me in the X-Men in particular, they have so many forms of telepathy and mind control. For example, the characters today, their powers work in completely different ways. Xavier and Emma Frost, it works in different ways. You even take characters, uh, the, the two that show up here, these are not telepaths per se, but characters with pheromone abilities. You have the character Wallflower from the Academy X run. There's a scene where she's at the prom and she makes David Elaine kiss her to make another boy jealous. And he's so upset. But then you see characters like Empath who have, uh, from Hellions, who have uh, uh, pheromone abilities, who just use it to humiliate people. There's a difference in those two types of stories, even though it's uh, the same power set. Now, these two characters today, and I don't mean to bias the jury at all, these two characters have <laughs> an obsession with making people uh, extraordinarily like, you belong to me, I own you, I will corrupt you, which is a different level. These characters, <laughs> and again, spoilers for later, but these characters are both undeniably evil, perhaps the most evil that we've put on trial so far in the way that they use their powers to just degrade and humiliate, which is a, a totally different subset. The therapist in me could write up a whole 
<laughs> I think if I had telepathy, I would probably like alter some minds and steal some shit, but I would never humiliate anybody. I would never make anybody grovel or like shred them. You know, that's a, that's a different thing, but who knows? You never know what Depends it would on what they did to you. Yeah. Depends you on, might, you, know, you, you get, yeah. Your perception's going to change. Right? right. If Mystique came to you and, and humiliated you, pretended they were someone that you, you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like it, it's the slippery slope of in that moment, what you could justify to yourself based on what you think is worthwhile or what you think is necessary response. It's a fascinating idea. So let's jump into today, just kind of starting with those early thoughts. And already we're all smiling, but also like, oof, <laughs> there's a lot of weight to these conversations. Uh, so let us convene with the trial of Jason Wingard. We always start with a, a kind of a character study and then we will go into the trial points afterward. Now for our long-term listeners, we are trying a different format on the trial today. Normally we have one jury member on prosecution and another on defense in each section. Today we have each jury member taking a complete section. So it's going to be a little bit different in the way that it plays out in the way you're listening. Um, so uh, let's convene with the trial of Jason Wingard. The illusionist known as Mastermind. Now, both Mastermind and Mesmero have the element of the showman about them. It's easy to conjure up images of the circus man and the sparkly clothes using the flash of light or a sleight of hand and surprise, your wallet's missing, but you're looking at the streamers floating through the air. Both men have a flair for the dramatic and both men have very fragile egos. Mastermind first shows up in X-Men number four as a member of Magneto's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. He's a thin, gaunt man dressed in an unflattering brown coat and pants that somehow accentuate how thin he is. His face seems to have sunken features, making him appear to be lecherous and frightening. He's constantly smoking a long cigarette and using his illusion powers to taunt his teammate Toad, who he loves to seem or who seems to love tormenting, or on the Scarlet Witch, who he wants to make love him. Most of what we know about Mastermind comes from reading between the lines, adding the details from his much later appearances. When Claremont takes over writing Mastermind, we see him as part of the Hellfire Club, and he's using his illusion powers regularly to make himself appear taller and fitter with brown hair instead of gray and a thick mustache. We learn his real name is Jason Wingard, a name implying the English countryside with connections to vineyards. When he begins messing with the mind of Jean Grey in his most infamous story, Jason is obsessed with 18th century culture, where a man had a beautiful woman as his love and possession, simpler times when the aristocracy was respected and steeped in tradition. And you can hear the sarcasm in my voice, I hope. You almost wonder if this is how he wishes the real world could be. By the way, Claremont based his design and the artist he was working with, uh, uh, the design of the mastermind illusion off of the actor Peter Wingard. So if you don't know who that is, Google his name. Uh, you, you, he looks like Claremont's version of mastermind. Much of mastermind's backstory will come later in, in, uh, in continuity. We learn he was already dead. Excuse me. Let me try that again. Much of mastermind's backstory will come years later after he was already dead in the comics from the dreaded legacy virus. In Wolverine and Gambit, Victims number three, we meet his daughter, Martinique, a mutant with similar illusion powers who sometimes uses the name Mastermind. Then in Extreme X-Men number six, we meet his other daughter, Reagan, who also has illusion powers and also calls herself Mastermind or Lady Mastermind. And she's been a member of the X-Men sometimes. Then in uh, X-Men Pixie Strikes Back number four, we learn that Mastermind is likely the father of Megan Gwynn, the X-Men known as Pixie, who has wings and magic pixie dust 
and her mother is a fairy woman named Mrs. Gwen. Jason was working as a circus illusionist when he was recruited by Magneto to join the Brotherhood. He took the name Mastermind as he considered himself to be the mind's master. There was a scene in X-Factor where Magneto shows, uh, has Mastermind alter the memories of a young Lorna Dane, who, when her powers activated, she learned Magneto was her father and her mother and stepfather were killed. Mastermind took those memories away at Magneto's instruction. He was present when Magneto recruited Toad, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver, and even Astra, who is not a character we need to talk about today. Mastermind has the power of illusion casting, overwhelming his victims' sensory input to make them believe they can see, smell, feel, hear, and taste the illusions he's casting. Mastermind can use his power in almost li limitless ways. Some examples, he once made Beast believe that his legs had been turned into jelly, or another time when Beast was climbing a wall that the wall had turned into glass and Beast slid all the way down. He's created massive walls of fire and alien monsters. But there does seem to be a telepathic edge to his abilities as well, because he uses these illusions to rewrite memories and experiences in the brain at times. In his recent appearance in the Hellions, which we'll cover today, we saw Mastermind maintaining more than five complex illusions that made some of his victims believe that years had passed before they woke up again. And among those uh, of his victims was Psylocke, uh, or Canon, who is a massive telepath herself. Mastermind seems to need consistent rest to maintain his illusions. He has been seen to enter the astral plane and to link minds. He has also used post-hypnotic suggestions or trigger words to launch his illusions. And he has also used illusions to affect the minds of people while they sleep. Jason has an air of cruelty about him at times, and he seems to enjoy taunting his victims, even driving them mad. I know of only one story where he shows remorse for his crimes, and that seems to be largely because he is dying and maybe wants a little bit of attention before he goes. Uh, Mastermind in New Avengers number nine by Brian Michael Bendis is ranting in a story which we'll cover in a minute where the general has hired Mastermind to alter the memories of the sentry. And here's his speech while he's ranting. Evil is all in your mind. It hides, twisted among the brain's convolutions, and humans try to deny it is there. But evil can rise like a wounded python and strike and fill the mind with its curling rage. I know, for I am the mind's master. I am mastermind. My mutant brain allows me to control what others experience. Man, by biological definition, is totally dependent upon his mind for his actions. By controlling men's minds, I can control men's actions, and thus I control men. How can anyone stand against that power? How? Years later, when Mastermind was dying of the legacy virus, he made a deathbed confession to Jean Grey in Uncanny X-Men Annual Number 17 by Scott Liddell. And here's his deathbed confession speech. I was being let go from the asylum when the physicians informed me that something was very, very wrong with me. A sort of genetic deterioration was the best diagnosis they could muster. My death was so near, I started reflecting upon my life a life spent bitter and angry and spiteful, resentful that I was born weak, scrawny, frail, useless. Imagine my elation the day I woke to discover that I was different, a mutant. I decided this was compensation. If I could not be found, excuse me, if I could not be different, I could look different. I could quite literally recreate the world in my image. I found out quickly it wasn't enough. Underneath the light and shadow, I was still in the still the pathetic creature I always was, and I hated myself for it. He then admitted he was unworthy of love, and that while he had coerced Jean into their relationship with her, with him, 
It was the closest he'd ever come to a real relationship. Finally, after his resurrection on the island nation of Krakoa, Mastermind has participated in several key missions, including fighting the Kotati on the island of Genosha. He's also joined the board of directors for the mutant business X Corp and has used his illusions more than once to further mutant interests. He's more involved ever than ever in the world of mutants, but we still see very little of him. Uh, and I just want to note very quickly, Mastermind is the last character we have to put on trial from the original Brotherhood. I have read these stories with the original Brotherhood like 17 times now. <laughs> I'm so happy to be moving on. <laughs> so before we get into the trial portion, let me hear your thoughts on the psychology and powers of Mastermind. Anyone who'd like to share? I do think the fully encompassing of all of the senses is a really interesting element to his power. You know, not just that you're, you're seeing something, but that you can feel it, that you can smell it, that you can taste it, that it affects so much more than just your perception of what something is, but you are like fully immersed in it. And I think that really, you know, can play to taking someone out of like a complete environment. Like you're not making someone just do something else. You're making them see a whole nother thing around them. And I think as far as like layers for a power goes, it's pretty impressive that it can be that complex. Xavier can make you think you're smelling something, but Mastermind can make you smell it as he's messing yeah. with it. It's a different type of power set. Yeah. Derek, go ahead. So I think uh, one of the biggest things that that strikes me through through the prep for this um, trial is his powers have changed so much from X-Men 4 until now. Mm -hmm. Because in X-Men 4, it was like, okay, I can make something look like it's there. But, you know, then Professor X just, you know, rolls his chair through the, the fire and stuff like that. And it was pretty clear as, like, I hadn't seen anything more on like how he could add those things. Um, and then in the Dark Phoenix saga, you've got him being propped up by a device that was built by him and Emma Frost and stuff like that. And so the additional accretion of powers over time is an interesting feature too. And I think it it like it just makes him a lot more dangerous as well. Absolutely. And I think we could say that about literally all of the characters. Look at how the Scarlet Witch and Jean's powers have changed over time. But yeah, Mastermind has become a lot more dangerous than he was in the 60s. I feel like I, I don't know that I've ever actually liked him as a character, but I didn't really know how or didn't really consider how terrible he was until going through the notes for this trial. I've cosplayed as Mastermind, and, and now I feel like I shouldn't ever again. I mean, it was really more of a choice to compliment her Emma Frost. And now it's like, you know, yeah, mutton chops are fun, but are they that fun? <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, he's a creep. <laughs> he's just like, period. Uh, I've, I've always, always, always hated him because my first uh, time I saw him was, I think, in X-Men 125 when he was going through, oh, look at what I've been doing to you over this time. And it like, I was only 10 when I was reading that comic, but I was like, I understood that, you know, she'd been, there'd been some sort of romantic relationship between him and her while he was lying about who he was, pretending to be somebody different. Well, you know, and I was like, 
like even 10 year old me with no sex ed at all, like I knew that this was like possibly the most evil thing I'd ever seen. So it was like, yeah. When when Stanley was writing the original Brotherhood, we've examined some of the characters uh, and, and the way they are portrayed. Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch are the heroes. Toad is the misfit. Mastermind is that creepy guy in the corner. And there's a scene in the early X-Men comics where he corners the Scarlet Witch. Basically, and I'm putting my words in this, he's like, I can look like whoever you want. I could be Ryan Reynolds. I could be Angelina Jolie. I can make you think you're living in a castle. You will love your life. And if you don't submit to me, then I could destroy you or make you want me. And there's just something so skeevy and disgusting because she's a teenager, first of all. It's it's a it's extraordinarily problematic. It's an, an uncomfortable. Like he's painted as a jerk right from the beginning. He's never really had the hero story. Although they did that a little bit in the recent X Corp series, they kind of showed ways that his powers could be used for mutant causes. But he's still not a good guy. It's still through he, deception. Um, yeah, always. And one thing about telepaths that always gets to me, I think this is similar to something Alicia said earlier, is they. They can take away memories. They can take away a piece of you. And like it, it stuns your growth in a way as a person, like whether you forget your trauma or just something that happened. Uh, but Mastermind has kind of stunted his own growth by using his powers as like this crutch. Like, like he could work on himself and be less creepy. Like, you know, he could, he could become a better person and maybe he could find a girlfriend. It's probably not going to be the Scarlet Witch, but like, stop being such a creep but he uses his powers as this crutch and he doesn't he has stunted his own like personal development he is a character as well that uh well claremont's use of him as a plot device and this is a conversation for when we get to these issues to review but his whole story with gene gray through the phoenix saga is just amazing it's all about female empowerment and the power they're capable of but mastermind is the plot device used to drive her mad to shed her human clothes, if you will, and just leave the earth behind. In some ways, he's responsible for everything that happens in the Phoenix Saga because he's the one that made it happen. Uh, and uh, I, I think the use of him is fantastic. Uh, I do get the sense that he's British. Uh, it's never been quite confirmed, I don't think, but I think there's a little bit of a British accent to him, which makes him a little more compelling to me somehow. Uh, but he's ultimately, he's ultimately very, very awful. He's not a character that anybody puts as their favorite villain even. He's just a terrible, terrible guy. Anybody have Dad, a, oh, please go ahead. I would just like to thank you for making the statement that uh, Mastermind is the one really behind everything with Gene because we had a recent debate about this on the podcast and uh, I was just saying it wasn't Emma's fault. She was just doing what Mastermind told her to do. Uh, I don't <laughs> she know. was just following orders. Mastermind was a tool of the Hellfire Club. He was a pawn and Emma <laughs> Frost furthered his abilities with her additions. My apologies. Emma's not on trial here. I just felt that was a good moment for me and I just needed Look at this charming man. He's just so <laughs> suave and debonair with his mutton chops and not potato sack outfit. <laughs> He's only making you think that. He's really wearing a potato sack. <laughs> Burlap has been out since the 1940s, Mastermind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is, uh, there's something about this character um, it's just like the unrestrained evil that comes with these types of powers. And I do like a character that just sinks into that. There's almost no redemptive quality. He's just gross. Uh, Mesmero's even grosser. <laughs> yeah. 
we'll get to there in a few minutes. Does anybody have a favorite mastermind story? Mine has to be the recent run of him in Hellions, where he's with uh, Arcade and Mr. Sinister. That whole little bit where everybody's double crossing each other, uh, I think is it's yeah. a brilliant use of him. It's easily my favorite. Anyone else have a favorite story? And it's not even because of him. It's just he's there and it's a really great story. Uh, and and to your point earlier about actually seeing him do something positive with his powers in X-Corp, I felt like that was, okay, uh, I'm here for it, but I don't think I need to redeem Mastermind. I don't, I don't think we need that hero's journey for this guy. We can just cast him aside as one of the worst. He is also, and one more thing we should note, there are rare cases where you see mutant parents passing on their mutant abilities to their kids. Magneto yeah. to Polaris, Banshee to Siren. Uh, Mastermind has two daughters who have similar power sets, although slightly different, which is uh, maybe three daughters who have similar power sets, which is an interesting thing to note too. Uh, any final thoughts on Mastermind before we jump into the trial portion? Okay, let's, uh, let's jump in here. So we have three points that we're going to put him on trial for. We, we do five points each trial. We have three for Mastermind, two for Mesmero. So reminding our jury members, at the end of each section, we will be voting. Uh, we're going to keep a score. And uh, as you are voting, this is the loose, <laughs> ineffective voting scale that we are using for the trial. So you can vote for one, which means justifiable action, two, which is morally concerning, Three, definitely inappropriate. Four, over the line into criminal behavior. Five, pure evil. Uh, so in section one, and our jury member doing the presentation today on this section will be Noel. This is what we call the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and factor three. The first recruit to Mag Magneto's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants was Mastermind, who regularly used his powers to taunt Toad as he pressured the Scarlet Witch to be his mate, even promising to drive her mad once if she didn't comply. Whenever Magneto was displeased with Mastermind, he would physically punish him. Mastermind conjured a massive army, or illusion at least, to help conquer the island or nation of Santo Marco, which had passed deadly legislation against mutants, and then helped Magneto fight the X-Men before they fled. Magneto leaving behind a nuclear device that was only narrowly stopped from detonating. Mastermind later participated in missions to recruit the Submariner and the Blob and to capture the Angel. When they tried to recruit the powerful stranger, Mastermind was changed into a stone statue for a time. After recovering, Mastermind joined Factor 3 alongside Vanisher, Blob, and Eunice the Untouchable under the leadership of Mutant Master. They then engaged in several long-term plots to drive the world to war so that mutants could rule. Involved in capturing Professor X and Banshee, Mastermind fought the X-Men when they attacked and voted that they should be put to death. But when the Mutant Master was revealed to be a tentacled alien, Mastermind turned against him. Let me turn it. Oh, and these stories take place in X-Men Volume 1, numbers 4 through 7, 11, and 37 through 39. Uh, let me turn it over to Noel. So in these stories, Mastermind continually uses his powers for evil, both interpersonally and in the aim of larger goals. So in the interpersonal sphere, he's harassing Toad all of the time, which who is super annoying, but he's also a very pathetic and somewhat defenseless individual. So Mastermind is very clearly punching down and playing the bully. And then there's the whole issue with the Scarlet Witch, who is very, very clear that she has no interest in Mastermind. And she actually tells him, I would rather die than marry you. So this is there's no chance of saying that there's any mixed signals or she's leading him on. 
But despite all of that and the message that she wants nothing to do with him, he continues harassing her, which just boils down to classic workplace sexual harassment. And Mastermind is also more than willing to use his powers in support of individuals with bad intentions. Unlike Scarlet Witch or Quicksilver, Mastermind doesn't express any qualms when Magneto is carrying out his most diabolical plans, like trying to nuke Santo Marco or attempting to leave the X-Men on Asteroid M to die. And when he's a member of Factor 3, he has to share blame for threatening the lives of an entire uh, passenger plane full of people. Um, and when he left after the Brotherhood, he joins Factor 3. He says that he intentionally sought out a new group of evil mutants. So that is what he's after. He wants to join some other evil people. And so the direction of his life is with his full knowledge and agency. Uh, which means he's on board with Mutant Master's plan to destroy all of humanity in a nuclear holocaust. And he only turns against um, Mutant Master because he realizes he's an alien, so it's not really any great moral awakening or show of personal growth on Mastermind's part. So overall, he's a terrible person. Um, there's only a couple of potentially exculpatory options that I came up for Mastermind's behavior. The first is that Toad is obnoxious as hell. Like, I don't know how many people could avoid bullying Toad. It would be very difficult because he's very annoying. And he is gross to the Scarlet Witch, but, you know, who's never acted like an idiot when they had a crush? That's just, like, grounds for being an idiot. Um, and lots of evil, quote-unquote, evil mutants have a hard time finding their place in the world. So they may have nefarious purposes, but Magneto and Mutant Master both offer a place for someone like Mastermind to join. Um, so maybe that contributes to why he'd go along with their plans. Uh, Noelle, I'm going to ask you the first question here. You are a fierce defense advocate of Magneto and the Scarlet Witch both. If Mastermind is part of the same team and you don't hold Magneto and Scarlet Witch accountable, what makes him more accountable than them? I do think he has to be held accountable for things like trying to nuke an entire country. <laughs> um, and Scarlet Witch, I think it's in that story. She has a problem with that. So we have some like, we have moments of moral clarity from people who are on like the bad side. Um, so... That's why I mentioned that he doesn't seem to express any of those concerns. Like, hey, Magneto, I'm on board with your plan, but maybe that's not the right way to do it. Same with nuclear holocaust from Mutant Master. The, the most notable thing that happens to Mastermind in this section is when Stranger turns him into stone. And when you read that, you're like, fuck yeah. <laughs> like you just, this guy deserves it. <laughs> yes. uh, so the best place for him. Let's turn it to the jury. What questions do you have uh, or concerns uh, that you need to clarify your vote? I have a question. In these particular instances, am I correct in gathering that Mastermind was part of a team in all of these instances, uh, aside from whatever the situation with Scarlet Witch is? Like in the going out and doing evil situations, he's not the leader of any of these 
groups, correct? He is he's always on one of these teams for these stories. Yes. Okay. Great. Just making sure. <laughs> and sometimes he's really funny too. There's there's a scene, for example, where they're sitting at a table and Toad flirts with the Scarlet Witch and Mastermind's like makes Toad's head looks like a pig. Or he like makes Toad think a carpet has wrapped around him and he's like, no, let me go. Like sometimes it's just funny. It's like playing pranks. <laughs> Derek, go ahead. So uh, a comment and a question. Comment is uh, I've actually bullied the Toad too. So I'm pleased to hear uh, what you're was saying <laughs> about that as exculpatory. Um, second of all, were any elephants ever hurt by Mastermind? <laughs> no. Nope. Harken back to the Namor trial for the elephant conversation. <laughs> I just wanted to check on a scale of evil. <laughs> no, no elephants were harmed in the this character. Uh, any other questions, or are we ready to vote in this section? Not, not really a question, uh, more of a point. It, just, it feels like he is a villain to villains, right? He is teasing, he is provoking, he is agonizing or antagonizing people who are supposed to be his teammates, people who are supposed to be championing a, a cause, whether or not it is a positive thing. Um, but at the same point, I, I give him a, a little bit of a pass on Santo Marco because of what they had just passed in terms of legislation towards mutants. I mean, that is an act of war, and this is a retaliation that was a nonviolent retaliation. Yes, it looked like an army, but it was a manipulation <laughs> to, it was really a clever ruse to defuse what would have been potential war and, and genocide for the mutant people. Corey? Ooh, you know, I, I had something, and then he started saying what he was going to say, and I thought of something else. And I, I can't remember what it was now. Yeah, no, I'll agree. You guys are making two good points. I'll agree with Justin here. I, this seemed to be an era of mutant politics where you had to pick a side. And uh, I think he chose the side that stood for mutants. And there's this kind of idea of, for all the characters back then, and we've talked about this in The Blob and Toad and Magneto Trials, et cetera, where you, you're on one side or you're on the other. You're either for or against. And it seemed like humans were necessary collateral if, in, in order for mutants to be safe, which is kind of fair because right after that, they unleashed the Sentinels, which were going to wipe out right. mutants anyway. Uh, so it's, 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 it's an interesting time. Uh, okay, so with that, let's go ahead and vote in this section uh, one. So one through five, again, uh, Derek, would you like to vote first? Yeah, I am very biased and uh, I would like to vote for a five. Um, so yeah, he's just pure evil, uh, unredeemable, and uh, yeah. In this section, it's going to be a two for me uh, because I feel like he's part of these groups that we've given a big pass on in a lot of ways before. He didn't do extraordinarily <laughs> evil here, but I still hear it. Uh, Alicia. Yeah, I, I, I'm oh, conflicted sorry. just because I know how evil he is, period. And I feel he was just holding back during this section. He was playing good or like he was putting on an act. <laughs> uh, Alicia, do you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Um, I feel as though the majority of my uh, votes today are going to be fives. So <laughs> since this is, uh, you know, not his most evil. We're gonna go four because we have we have to have somewhere to go. 
but I still mm-hmm. think he is uh, a garbage person. So yeah, this, we're going for This was our fluffiest story. <laughs> uh, Corey, do you want to go next? Yeah, I um I was tempted to give it a five just because he just he said out loud that he had no remorse and he doesn't really care. Uh, but kind of thinking along the same lines of Le- of Leisha, there's there's so much worse to come. Uh, and at least in this one, uh, like Justin said, he's a part of a team, and that team leader has specific ideas in mind and goals he wants to accomplish. But Mastermind doesn't seem to share those goals. He just seems to be along for the ride while benefiting him. And then there is, of course, you know, you have to retaliate. You can't. And in a war, if you if you don't escalate, the other people will, which we saw. So yeah, not the worst it could be. Uh, pretty self-serving, but it could get worse. So I'm gonna go for it. Okay, and Justin. It's a three for me. Uh, It's definitely inappropriate. So the things that he's doing, the things that he's saying, he's not actually acting on them. You know, it's it's just threats. Terrible. The seeds are there for what he will later do, but we need to build to that. And I I feel like uh, there there are. He is a villain. You know, (laughs) he's just you can't (laughs) sugarcoat that enough. That yeah, he is on the the opposite side of the hero villain dynamic. And um, yeah, that just. I feel like he's got a lot worse to come. So it's a three for me. And finally, Noel. I'm torn between a four and a five. I think I'm going to go four for a similar reason to everybody else. It's going to get worse. But for me, it's the choice to go from the Brotherhood to the other group. Like that choice is bad. And also, the sexual harassment is really bad. But I don't know that that's also. It's it's criminal, but I don't know that it's technically a crime, it's like a workplace thing. That gives us a 22 in this section. And then let's go to section two or trial point two, which we will call the master of the mind. Now, in this part, uh, we see Mastermind, Blob and Eunice the Untouchable working together. They purchased the captive X-Men from a man named Kruger and Mastermind used the illusion of cash to make this purchase. He taunted these heroes with illusions. He briefly made Jean Grey believe that Blob was Cyclops in a story that felt pretty rapey because Blob wanted to sleep with Jean. Uh, We talked about that in the Blob trial too. Kruger returned and canceled out the other mutants' powers, which is his ability, uh, which led to their defeat. The trio then went on to call themselves the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants again, and they tried manipulating the newly furry beast into stealing a diamond for them. They by making Beast believe that he had committed a murder. And let me tell you, Mastermind is looking rough in this story (laughs) in Amazing Adventures. Mastermind was later hired by the General to reprogram the memories of the Sentry, knowing that the Sentry's own powers would then erase the memory of him in the minds of others. Mastermind joined Magneto in another brotherhood. This time they fought the Defenders. Magneto built Alpha, the ultimate mutant, and they stormed the United Nations, trying to demand a country for mutants. In the end, Alpha turned the whole group into a baby. And all the babies were really cute, except for baby Mastermind. <laughs> he was not a cute baby. <laughs> Years later, after the settling of Krakoa, Mastermind got involved in a complicated plotline be- between Arcade and Mr. Sinister. Mr. Sinister tasked Mastermind with helping him set up a cloning facility, while Arcade took Mastermind's daughter hostage and threatened to kill her unless Mastermind did as he was told. 
In the middle of this ruse, Mastermind kidnapped Mr. Sinister, then brainwashed the Hellions, trapping them in cruel realities that made them face their own fears, and that only after making the Hellions believe after they had fallen to their deaths. Mastermind wore out after sustaining these illusions for days, and again, for some of these characters, they felt like years had uh, had passed. Uh, The character Psylocke broke through. She nearly killed Mastermind, but he can come back now because of resurrection. Uh, And he soon ordered the death of a human who had witnessed the events, despite promising that human he would let him go free. Uh, These stories are told in X-Men The Hidden Years, 11 through 14, Amazing Adventures, 13 and 14, New Avengers number 9, Defenders number 15 and 16, and finally Hellions 9 through 11. And let's turn it over to Derek for this section. Thanks. Uh, So, um, yeah, my five in the last section, I think I've done a bit of reflection, and I think that 10-year-old me is voting. Uh, Kids can be pretty uh, black and white about justice, so (laughs) just uh, channeling my inner child. Um, So on this section, I started thinking on prosecution, what crimes are we prosecuting? Because we don't have laws for telepathic crimes. And I think that the frauds are the closest ones that have to do with lying and falsifying. Um, And Mastermind warps people's perceptions of reality. He feeds them illusions to manipulate them into doing what he wants. And his power is basically depriving people of agency and making people vulnerable um, because he takes away their understanding of the world around them that they normally need to make decisions that would protect themselves. Um, he's the patron saint of gaslighting. He's a walking date rape drug. And he goes around roofing people all the time, creating feelings of attraction or disgust or fear for his own benefit. So as I was going through these issues, in Amazing Adventures 12 to uh, 14, he's trying to recruit the Beast for crime, which we all know Beast would never do any sort of crime in the Bronze Age. Um, Mastermind made Beast believe he'd murdered someone and that he was forever cut off by from society. And making someone doubt themselves and manipulating them into believing these lies, that's long-lasting emotional abuse. Um, and there's no crime specifically for this, but it is wrong and it is evil. Um, in the X-Men Hidden Years, uh, he participated in the equivalent of, I guess, forcible confinement of four people. And he was an accessory to an attempted sexual assault. In the New Avengers, we it was revealed that Mastermind basically destroyed Sentry's life. He made him forget who he was. He gave him mind-scarring, incapacitating fears. This is not a physical violation. It's a mental violation. But if it were a physical violation of this degree, I think it's comparable to first-degree murder. But we again, we don't have a crime that deals with this kind of mental version. So that's sort of the my prosecutorial thoughts. On the defense side, is any of this excusable? Is any of this justifiable? I think the only thing we can say on this area is the stuff that is kind of his defense is he was either insignificant or inept in, in what was going on. In X-Men, the hidden years after the failure to disguise Blob as Cyclops to try and sexually assault Marvel Girl, Wingard admits he knew it wouldn't work. So arguably he didn't intend for the sexual assault to occur. Um, and so his own inability to make it happen is his defense. Um, In Defenders 15 and 16, Mastermind was a foot soldier and an ineffective one at that. His assistance to Magneto only resulted in his degeneration into infancy. 
in Hellions 9 through 11, uh, Mastermind was kind of a junior partner again, manipulating the Hellions, but it was part of a plan that benefited Sinister more than him. Um, I don't know that, uh, like, he's just a terrible person. And in this section, he destroyed the Sentry's life. Uh, he tortured other people. Um, he participated in an attempted sexual assault. Uh, you know, um, not a lot to pull back from there. So let me turn it over to the jury for clarifying points and or questions on this section. I, I want to note quickly, he is particularly cruel in his choice of illusions for the members of the Hellions. Uh, it's a little <laughs> therapeutic for some of them, but if you've read that Hellion story, they are all trapped in, in spaces that are just specifically meant to do nothing but torture them. And you can almost think of him justifying it to himself as like, they're all going to die in the end and they won't remember this anyway. So I may as well just be fucking crazy and cruel here. Uh, but he's mean without going into all the individuals, go back and read those stories. He's so cruel in the way he tortures them. But, but that's a really standard sort of thing to do. Like for a hero, like they get put through their paces, they face their deepest danger. And whether it's mastermind or professor X or, oblivion or somebody else like it's a really really common superhero trope um and so i like is mastermind like is he a placeholder for that experience for them or like is he really driving i don't know that that one impacted me less just because that storyline is so 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 common in comics yeah, yeah sure and the fact that he's being manipulated because of his daughter being captured, right? W would he have done these actions on his own accord? Or is it because Arcade is pushing him to this level of drastic action? Uh, obviously, he has it with him, right? You know, we've seen what he's done. We see what he's about to do. Uh, but he also has that ability to be inside a mind and to understand, you know, at various times, and to understand what is the the real pressure point to push on how to get to the other side that would secure the life of his family and I, you know i just i feel like that one's a hard one to judge on because of the fact that he is being manipulated in his own way except and except if his daughter is killed she could be resurrected and he murders that guy which is exactly what i'm going to say about the fact that mm. eh, gonna get resurrected and no one's gonna remember anything that happened anyway because they wouldn't have been backed up <laughs> so his yeah, but you still don't want to watch your daughter die right right i have to go through you you still experience it the same way so i think it, any decision he made during that little point is excusable to an extent of being under duress and a parent doing literally anything and everything within their abilities to save or protect their daughter He's a terrible I, father. I, <laughs> <laughs> it does, I mean, he might, if you, if you, you might be an emotionally abusive, distant father, but if you, if you save your daughter from death and torture, that's still a good thing. It's not, it doesn't excuse everything else, but. To, to Justin's point on like, um, you know, he picked particularly cruel and effective and, and I think Chad was making this point too, um, because it's under duress. Um, if you look at X-Men 134, which is when he had um, Dark Phoenix controlling them all and all, all the X-Men are trapped in the Hellfire Club and stuff, um, you know, he made uh, Jean 
see that Storm as a slave, right? And I mean, you know, I can buy you, I can sell it. Like he was, he was not under duress there. He was feeling that he was at the prime of his power and that's how he chose to use it, right? Um, and he was like, Cyclops, look at what I can do. I've got your girl and you can't do anything about it. And I mean, like, that's the worst thing you can do to Scott. And it's like, this was <laughs> when he, there was no coercion at all. This was just his total freedom. And uh, it's no different than what he did in Hellions, I feel. Fascinating. Uh, Noel and Alicia, any thoughts here? He's the worst. Yeah. I don't. I, could... I think it's in, it's an interesting point to bring up the Hellion story in comparison to everything else, but really we've reached the peak of me being able to forgive or understand any of the... Just wait. It gets yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not just doing evil for the sake of doing evil or for the betterment of your people. It's doing evil because you find joy in watching other people suffer. And that's that's all I got. He just he makes the choice to be evil over and over again. And that story with Gene and the blob. Hmm. I mean. That one's rough. I have, I have one more thing to add on the point Alicia made. Like, the thing is, he needs, I feel that if you look at his corpus, he he needs to make other, he needs to break other people down to feel good about himself, okay. right? Which leads me to think that Noel's point about he chooses evil over and over is that's his pattern because he doesn't know anything else. Like he's always going to do that because he's always going to feel crappy. He always knows people would hate him if he didn't use his powers. Therefore, he's always going to use his powers to break everybody down so that he doesn't feel as terrible. And so, yeah, I like I think he's beyond redemption for some of those structural personality points, too. Are we ready to vote in this section? So uh, let's go with Noel first. I have to go with five. Corey. Oh gosh, I needed an extra second. I'm thinking I want to I want to follow this a similar pattern. And since there are a couple of points that could be not necessarily argued in his favor, but you know we could uh, we could reduce his sentence, so to speak, or uh, reduce his his charges based on uh, the duress. For one of those situations, uh, so we'll knock off we'll knock off some years and make it a four instead of a five. I'm also voting for uh, uh, Justin. The four for me as we slowly climb the mountain to his most terrible deeds. Uh, it's just the fact that it' gonna get worse, y'all. <laughs> and Alicia. Oh, we've reached the the fives. We're in a five. <laughs> And uh, on the next round, I could vote like a 10. I probably would do that. But just because we still have somewhere to go, doesn't we're at the fives. We're going five hard probably for the rest of the trial. <laughs> and uh, Derek. A uh, 10-year-old Derek thinks that the best mastermind was the mastermind. And 10-year-old also wants Colossus to fastball special mastermind into the sun. So um, I'm at a five. So this gives, <laughs> this gives us, uh, oh, God, I got to do math while laughing. Uh, this gives us a 27, don't you have, 27 out of 30. Don't you have to vote? 
What's that? What was your vote? Oh, I voted four. So we're at a 27 out of 30 there. Uh, If you guys have not read Mastermind versus Beast in the Amazing Adventure story, by the way, go back and read it. It's Steve Englehart. Beast is in a fursuit, but he puts on like a latex mask to pretend he's human. Mastermind looks fully insane in this story. It's a really fun read. It's uh, it's super campy and delicious. I, I kind of love it, actually. Uh, okay, so we're going to jump into trial point three, which we are calling the corruption of Jean Grey. Uh, Justin will be on uh, presentation this time. After ally, excuse me, after allying himself with the Hellfire Club, Mastermind saw the opportunity to brainwash the beautiful Jean Grey into being his ally. Mastermind spent weeks dominating Jean's mind in a series of illusions that drove her mad. And he was painstakingly, premeditatively doing all of these things over, uh, over a period of several issues. Then he made her believe she was in love with him. Then he married her in an illusion. In an illusion that he had over the X-Men, Mastermind cruelly made Storm believe that she was a slave. Cyclops believed that she had been that he had been stabbed. Jean Grey, who had been taken over by the Phoenix Force, eventually turned against Mastermind, driving him mad and landing him in a mental institution. As a result of Mastermind's corruptions, the Phoenix then gave in to its dark side, turning against her allies and committing many crimes before eventually destroying the Dabari planet, killing millions or billions of people. After leaving the institution, Mastermind used illusions to taunt his enemies, including Emma Frost and Mystique. He convinced uh, Mariko Yashida to end her marriage to Wolverine. Then he cruelly taunted Madeline Pryor, the new wife of Cyclops, making her kiss him before, before Storm kicked his ass. Later, he sought out Rachel Summers of Excalibur, using illusions so that he could try to drain the phoenix from her, but she drove him into a temporary coma. Uh, These stories take place in Classic X-Men 24 Part 2, Uncanny X-Men numbers 122, 125, 126, 129, 130, 132 through 134, and then 169 and 170, and 173 through 175. It's a whole bunch of stuff. And then finally, uh, the story with Rachel is in Excalibur 26. Let me turn it over to Justin. Esteemed jury members, the prosecution would like to approach the bench. We're here to talk about the dastardly deceptions of one villainous foe mastermind. Now, no one has more reason to be outraged by this man on trial than the wonderful Jean Grey, someone who has been tortured and deceived by mastermind time and again. His rap sheet includes lying, conning, posing as various people to gain her trust and manipulating her mind so that she would fall in love with him. His deceptions aside, his language is particularly problematic as he desires to own her, mind, body, and soul. His tactics and repeated impersonations can only be described as a form of psychic grooming as Mastermind attempts to mold Gene's identity of self, playing into a personal goal beyond his employer's designs of elevating her into a power role in their organization. There are serious incidents happening all around, and yet Mastermind continuously wants to play games, pulling Gene into his illusions, his desires of another world. It's the creepiness of how patient he is in his goals. Yes, his actions are despicable, but the game he plays with this woman's life takes it several layers further. The amount of control he assumes over her, layered and complete to the point where she can no longer resist his manipulations. 
He taunts Jean's friends with his natural potato sack wearing form to infuriate Cyclops as he steals her away. He defiantly claims victory, making sure everyone knows that he's coming for the top seat in the Hellfire Club as he plays everyone, making moves toward power and control for himself. Aggressive mental manipulations, physical assaults, blatant racism, and an invasion of a couple's intimacy. Now, it would be enough if Miss Jean Grey were the only one accusing Mastermind of foul deeds, but the man taunted his former allies and other mutant citizens. Flexing his incredible power, the degree of mental torment that he puts Mystique through is extreme, taking her while she's defenseless and subjecting her to thoughts of her own murder. But again, she's also a supervillain who has tried to assassinate world leaders, so man, if he had just talked to Mariko Yoshida, like a classic wedding objection, that would be one thing. But again, he uses his powers to disrupt an X-Man's life out of petty revenge. Relatively small scale compared to the other things that we're talking about here, but still, a broken heart is destruction of property. To come after the X-Men, dredging up past wounds and causing deep emotional distress, it's terrible. Not to mention threatening the life of the innocent human, Madeline Pryor, only because she's in a relationship with Cyclops, and the creep move of always kissing everyone. Don't even get me started on Rachel. He's preying on her undealt with trauma, manipulating on an even younger woman who is the daughter of the person he tortured years earlier. The man has done nothing positive and deserves to rot until death. I rest my case and wait for the defense. I would like to point out, and this is where things get very uncomfortable, it is not stated outright in the comics, but it is very much implied that he also had sex with Jean Grey. It's not stated outright, but there does seem to be rape. He marries her, he treats her as property, he wants to do it in front of Cyclops, it almost seems. It's a very, very ish story. And again, it gets worse with Mesmero in a minute, but this there, there's a lot of stuff that you can read in between the lines here. Justin, would you agree with that assessment of uh, of that interpretation of the story? Um, I'm not sure just because of the timeline and, and just how from where they are in physical space and who else is in the room that I'm not sure if that had a, a, an opportunity to take place. So okay. I'm not sure. Um, but but I do hear that. And I, I say that that is potentially there. I also am about to defend this man. So uh, anything that I can whoosh away quickly and quietly, I will do because... <laughs> Please understand, I don't believe the defense I'm about to deliver. Let's hear it. <laughs> Folks, <laughs> I'd like to talk to you about the upstanding gentleman, Mr. Jason Wingard. It is my goal today to share with you a pattern of helpful and insightful actions that clear him of all charges. <laughs> now, when Miss Jean Grey was lost in a foreign country without means of food and shelter, Jason was a hero coming to her aid and working with her to weather the storm. He assisted her in collecting her fallen parcels, even offering further help. What a kind stranger he was to watch and make sure she set sail safely. Now, Jason clearly took a liking to Miss Gray, not a crime, demonstrating a willingness to learn her interests. He is nothing but kind to her under the guise of various strangers, who doesn't like going on fun dates and role-playing? It is my belief that he knew Jean had a fondness for early colonial American history. <laughs> I mean, horseback riding in the countryside? What a great date. Jason is charming, 
pulling out all the stops to impress his new acquaintance. Their bond grew, a rapport forming between them, making conversation that much easier. Jason even says himself, I'm merely giving her a taste of some of her innermost forbidden needs and desires. We later find that Jason is merely a pawn in a plot led by the Hellfire Club. I believe his attempt to bond with Jean is a way to rescue her from their evil clutches. He recognizes her strength and power. What a forward-thinking gentleman. He even plans and sets up their wedding. Now, what man do you know takes that kind of initiative? <laughs> technically, technically, he freed Jean from her mental capture by the Hellfire Club and him. And was intensely push and was intensely punished for any potential harm caused. The psychological damage that he endured should not be overlooked. Jason furthers his heroics by taking on known villains. Emma and Mystique generally forfeit right to sympathy because of the many terrible things they've done and could have done had it not been for my client. Just think, if Wolverine was allowed to marry the love of his life, he would have retired from the X-Men and instead, we get decades more of the best there is at what he does, which is stabbing, not being happily married. How do we even know Jason's influence here? A lot of inferred action with no solid evidence. He takes it a step further with a gesture of friendship, reminding Scott of the love of his life, a time that he cherishes, an opportunity for the X-Men to walk down memory lane and relive a time that brought them all together. Jason. Does your considerate nature know no bounds? Which brings me to my last point, what some might consider dream therapy, as Jason takes a troubled mind, lost in grief and regret, and finds a way to help Rachel Summers deal with her past. It seems as though he has repeatedly done positive work in the superhero community and should be acquitted of all charges immediately. Thank you, I rest my case. Uh, all I can say to that was... <laughs> <laughs> Seconded. <laughs> but I, I commend your ability to defend this defenseless man. Uh, let's turn it over. That to was the, pretty good. Yeah. Let's turn it over to the jury for questions and comments before we vote. Anyone who has anything to say in this section, Derek, go ahead. Uh, two comments. Uh, one is uh, Noel's podcast taught me that Mariko probably dodged a bullet by not marrying Wolverine because <laughs> he's got nothing but dead wives. So uh, that's a thing. It's not in his defense, but just it's a circumstantial thing. Um, the other is, I don't know that I buy into the idea that Mastermind caused Phoenix to go to Dark Phoenix, because there's a lot else in the corpus that says, you know, Phoenix would inevitably go to Dark Phoenix. I'm sure he accelerated it. But the thing is, if, if like Bizarre Adventures 27 and stuff like that, like the way Jean was describing the experience of being Phoenix. It was like she was holding on by her fingernails. And, you know, uh, anyway, the, that's not to exculpate him, but just being sure about what he's to blame for. There's an interesting element to that Phoenix story. And there'll be a lot of commentary on this in the podcast in the far future. But uh, the Phoenix Force is so ultra powerful, but also is so innocent to the ways of the world that mastermind seems to be the thing that unlocks her understanding that the human race is absolutely corrupt uh, it, it, in the Phoenix's estimation. There's an interesting thing there. It's, it's almost puppy-like in its innocence 
as it latches on. I don't know if you guys got that from the same reading, but I think there's a lot of interesting interpretations there. It's it's a, addictive to Jean though too, right? Like using it makes her want to use it more. And there's that I think is an overpowering element too. Sure. sure. Other, <clears throat> other thoughts or questions in this section? I have a good question. That defense was so good. I kind of forgot what the, what his, what the main points were that we, what are the bad things that he did, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who even knows the prosecution left. That guy's gone. Ah, uh, he must not have faith in him. And the, <laughs> this is this is maybe not his client. This is maybe the most or top most infamous story of the X-Men of all time, which is saying something. And Mastermind's kind of the the driving force behind it, although it becomes a Phoenix story, of course. Uh but yeah, he uh he broke up the top couple in comics in a lot of ways. He married Jean, he used illusions to drive her mad. <laughs> Uh, and then he went on to do it to other people afterward. Uh, so after being crazy, after being in the institution, he came back and tried to do it again and again. Uh, the Excalibur story, for example, where he goes after Rachel is you're just like, oh, what's this, what's this guy doing? Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Any other clarifying points here before we vote? No. Let's do it. Alicia, you're ready. I can see it. Just, just five. There's no explanation needed. Five. Uh, Corey. Uh, as good as the defense, the uh, the uh, the living with someone and manipulating them and slowly driving them crazy. It's pretty terrible. So I'm gonna go with the five. I feel like you're bringing up your real life as you say that. <laughs> I'm much better now. I moved. <laughs> uh, let's go Derek next uh, five if not six no six is allowed uh, it's five for me and Noel five Justin now it's an unquestionable five obviously I just want to attest hey how good of an actor is that guy to be able to pretend <laughs> that he believes that there are some... I told a friend of mine who loves the Dark Phoenix saga I have to defend Jason Wingard for his actions in the Dark Phoenix saga. He said, gross, period. That's <laughs> it. Nothing else. He's a terrible human. He deserves to rot in hell. Even horrible humans deserve defense attorneys, which is okay in the real court system. Uh, okay, so this is a 30 out of 30, which is one of the very few times we've hit that in the pod. That gives uh, Jason or Mastermind 79 out of 90 total for these three sections, which gives him an 88% uh, which is our highest so far. And I think it's going to go worse for Mesmero. <laughs> so let's talk about Mesmero next. We're going to go back to the psychology and powers kind of conversation for just a minute. Mesmero is a showman, first and foremost. He is the flashy stage magi magician, even more than Mastermind. He wants nothing more than the full attention of the eager audience. He has green skin and a garish snake-like costume that will make him stand out in a room of other garishly dressed supervillains. And that is saying something on his own. Go back to his first appearance in X-Men. His costume is insane. In the late 1700s, Franz Anton Mesmer in Austria introduced a new therapeutic technique that involved hypnotizing patients. And an age of mesmerism launched after with the term becoming synonymous with hypnotism. People were fascinated. You got images like swirling circles in the eyes of the hypnotizer. Picture like Ka the snake from the Jungle Book and a ticking watch being the focal points for those who are falling under the control of another. 
Fiction became obsessed with this idea of the man who commits the crime because he'd been hypnotized by another man to do so, a dangerous little narrative technique used in so many murder mysteries since. Mesmero is a mutant with hypnosis powers. If he looks into your eyes, even if you're a telepath, he can control your every thought and action for as long as he can maintain that control. He can make you see things, make you forget who you are, make you lose your memories. He can control you even from quite far away. All, and his powers seem only limited by his ability to maintain attention to his victims or on his own level of self-confidence. And we won't cover this story in the trial today, but an example is when the Dark Riders hunted down Mesmero with the intent to kill him. Mesmero made them believe that he was dead and then maintained a psychic manipulative hold on the character Gauntlet for months afterward, torturing him from afar. We uh, also saw him do this with Rachel Summers in X-Men Gold, which we will cover today. In another story that we won't cover, in X-Men Volume 2, number 2.5, Mesmero is able to keep all of the X-Men trapped in an illusory Arthurian adventure where he takes on the form of a wizard. So this guy can be crazy powerful. Mesmero is a villain that few people seem to pay attention to, but he's appeared over 50 times across the decades. In his first appearance, he built massive machines to summon mutants and to activate their powers. He built a massive city for the mutants to live in in the desert. And he obtained a robot of Magneto, which was built by Star Saxon, the future machine smith, in order to give him clout, although he doesn't claim to know that Magneto is a robot at times in those early stories. We will cover this story during the trial, but it's crucial to understand how much attention and power this guy wants. Years later in Frank Thierry's Weapon X series, we learn that his real name is Vincent, and that he grew up with an abusive father, and Vincent once used his powers to command his father to go away. In later years, Vincent used his powers to make his dying mother think that she wasn't in pain. And when she died anyway, even when he commanded her not to, he lost his abilities for a time because his confidence was shattered. After the events of M-Day, when he lost his powers, uh, Hugh Sturbikov told a story, he was on our podcast recently, uh, told a story about Mesmero in X-Men Unlimited Volume 2, number three, or number 13. Vincent has no more control, no more ability to manipulate. And he's fallen in love with a prostitute who seems to love him back. And we get a little bit of insight in the dialogue here about his insecurities. Quote, the name is Vincent, but I haven't spoken to anyone in years. Since then, I've been called by another name, Mesmero. I'd long forgotten pathetic Vincent. He couldn't trust anyone, couldn't believe anyone. He was worthless, really, I can say it. But now Mesmero is gone. Like one of those dreams where you can fly and everything's perfect and nothing can ever hurt you again. And then you wake up and someone has taken away your powers. Yes, Vincent is back. Poor, pathetic Vincent. Struggling to say one precious link above the bottom of the food chain. Mesmero walked among the gods, homo superior. Vincent could never enslave anyone. He never mattered to anybody. Couldn't make his father go straight. Couldn't keep his mother alive. I've never had to ask anyone for their trust. I've always just taken it. But now, now she gives her heart to me willingly. And it's all I need, all I ever need. Later, Mesmero gets a job. Uh, this is, excuse me, this is before this story we just covered where he loses his powers. But earlier in continuity, we see him get a job as a hypnotherapist where he's manipulating the rich and famous. And in a vulnerable moment with Megan, this is during his experience in Excalibur, which we'll talk about in a minute. He says, and I quote, my whole life, I've looked for the perfect scam. Didn't have much choice, really. Kind of hard to dance the straight and narrow when your skin's the color of an unripe apple. I found if I locked eyes with folks, I had control of them. Instant hypnosis. 
Too great a temptation to resist. Know what I mean? I figured the whole stinking world was my oyster, except that every time I pulled a caper, it blew up in my face. I had the powers for a life of crime, but not the smarts. Man, I did what nobody, and that includes the high and mighty master of magnetism himself, had ever done. I captured the X-Men on their home turf, too. Trouble was, once I had him, I had no idea what to do next. And by the time I figured something out, there was Magneto to stomp my face and grab him away from me. After I tried the old way again, but my heart wasn't in it, then, bolt from the blue, it hit me. Why use, why, why use my gift to hurt folks, especially when the putts who got hurt most, often and worst of all, was me? And darn if that notion didn't pay off. I'm pulling in more cash legit than I ever did as a crook. And I got the status to go with it. Play my cards right, could be a knighthood on a or a peerage. Ain't that a crock? And weirdest of all, I actually felt some sense of satisfaction doing good. Me, Mesmero, whoever had, excuse me, whoever'd have thought. One more quote from that same issue. He says, some people, you can lead them to your lips, but all the hypnosis in the world can't seem to make them kiss you back. So let's shake off our conversation about Mastermind for a minute and talk about Mesmero before we put him on trial. What do you like or dislike about this guy? Do you have a favorite story? Is he even someone that you even think of when you think of ex-villains? Uh, Corey, go ahead. I just, those those few stories were nothing like the ones I had. Just, I Mesmero, he seems human. He seems like someone who has gone through trauma and is just kind of a, a product of, his situation to an extent of course uh so that's gonna make that's gonna make this very interesting i think because i got quite the opposite in all my in all my reading when i read these quotes i get a man that's obsessed with his own self-importance more than someone who's sympathetic he's someone who's ranting to you about how great he is and even though i've been hurt look how important i still am that's almost what i get from them more uh this guy is an a narcissist to the nth degree in my mind. Uh, but but it's okay if you feel differently, obviously. Well, it could be, it could, could be argued that uh, I don't know if, if it actually means anything, but uh, he didn't use his powers for the sake of evil. A little bit more, it uh, uh, wasn't evil for the sake of evil. He was just, he, he wanted to, he wanted to feel wanted to feel like he belonged. He wanted to be important and he went about, went about it the wrong way, but he seemed satisfied when he went legit. Yeah. It's an interesting thing to consider because he had no more ability to, to control anyone. It's almost like he was forced to, to accept his limitations. Uh, but it, it is interesting because it doesn't see, it doesn't seem like he views his actions as evil, but then you look at what those actions actually are. <laughs> uh, uh, Alicia, you seem to have something to say. I just really despise this man. Um, but I will say what did what I did find interesting, which I didn't experience in or I haven't experienced with many other uh, people with telepathic abilities is the way that people can break free from his um, control. I think it made for somewhat more of an interesting character and in that he really, he really wants to be evil and he really wants to be the top dog, but he's thwarted so often because of the fact that he's not as strong and powerful, it seems, as he, he believes himself to be. And he's always like shocked that they, that he didn't win or that someone 
broke free of, of his control. And I think that that just makes him a like an interesting character in a different way that he just seems to be like so sure of himself, but never really fully successful in what he wants to do that I applaud him in a sense for continuing to persevere to be as evil as he wants to be because he clearly does not really have what it takes to be a master villain aside from the drive to be terrible. That that last quote I read where he says, some people you can lead him to your lips, but all the hypnosis in the world can't seem to make him kiss you back. That's something that Purple Man has said in like the Jessica Jones stories where he's like, I can control people, but I can't make them want me back. If I, if they want me back, it's because I made them want me. He's like bored with raping people almost. <laughs> this is how I, I take that quote in some ways, which is which is so, ugh. he's, he's uh, <laughs> this is a character I have never given much thought to at all. And reading him front to back, I, I mentioned this earlier in the pod, I was just like, holy shit, these stories, Weapon X in particular, the Frank Thierry stuff, I was like, good God, like he's, He's insane. Uh, Derek, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I mean, he's he's so firmly in his rut of being a B-lister or a C-lister, right? I mean, even in his first appearance, he's like, look, I'm serving Magneto. Oh, actually, it's a robot. You know, like, how lame do you have to be to, like, make a robot <laughs> or somebody you want to serve to, like, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just he's perpetually... You know, his inadequacies are all there to show and his powers are perfectly suited to fulfill, you know, the 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 lacks he feels about his inadequacies. Not that that is in any way a justification. It's just it's an interesting point of his personality. It's an interesting character study. And we, we reviewed all these issues on the podcast recently, but we kind of got the vibe. It's almost like his goal here was to manipulate Lorna Dane into a position where he had power over her almost more than anything. That almost seemed to be his whole point in building this giant city is to get Lorna under his control, which was interesting. Uh, other thoughts on Mesmero. Uh, he he comes across as a showman. My favorite story of his, and Alicia, you had this one, is, is uh, when he fought Spider-Man. Uh, when he's in the Amazing Spider-Man story as kind of the, the showman who's robbing the audiences, that was my favorite story of his. Uh, but he, he gave me just oof, like vibes almost more than anything as I read him. He's kind of like, if Toad had a lot of strong powers, yeah. like, yes, <laughs> kind of very similar. <laughs> totally. He's definitely not a character that I think about often and probably haven't in many years. My favorite story of his is he was used as a pawn of Apocalypse in the X-Men Evolution cartoon to assemble Apocalypse's freedom, which, you know, if you're going to align with a big bad, if you're trying to elevate from D or C level to B or, you know, A minus, yeah, Apocalypse is the guy to get behind and, and to unleash Apocalypse and to have a really good standout story. Um, but otherwise, I don't think I've ever thought about Mesmero. On a, like, oh, who are my favorite villains? Uh, uh, I just feel like it, it's, uh, it's a cautionary tale on the dangers of telepathy. Frank Thierry loves to take C-list villains and give them motivation and just kind of tell dark stories about them. So in the Weapon X stuff, which we'll cover in a minute, you see him uh, raping people, you see him leading children to their death, but then you see this very human side of him where he can't stop his mom from dying. 
And because of that, because she dies anyway, he lo- he loses control of his own abilities. He can't use them anymore. Uh, and it's it's a very, very interesting story into his psychology by adding that level of backstory. It's actually pretty smart, even though he's reprehensible in this series. Uh, he kind of gets a, his comeuppance. We'll talk about it in a minute, but he ends up getting sent to the concentration camp because he, uh, Neverland, they call it, because he he can't, he's not of use to the Weapon X program any longer. It's an interesting, uh, and it's inter- an interesting take on his psychology. Uh, and he's the only writer to ever add any backstory to Mesmero. Any other thoughts here? No. Okay, let's jump into the trial section. We're going to go, there's two points for Mesmero, and then we will wrap up. So trial point one for Mesmero, we're calling the showmen. And Alicia's going to be in charge of this. Uh, having built a city for mutants with massive machinery and a robot of Magneto to give him clout, Mesmero used the Psych Generator machine to summon mutants whose powers hadn't activated to come and join him. He singled out Lorna Dane, recognizing her as the daughter of Magneto, and brainwashing and brainwashed her into leading the army with him. Mesmero and his army fought the X-Men, who later defeated him after Cyclops posed as Eric the Red. Later, Mesmero took mental control of Jean Grey, we're seeing a pattern here, and in a hotel room ordered her to, quote, prove her love to him. And when she was resistant, he took control mentally of the X-Men instead and made them perform for him in a carnival before the real Magneto defeated Mesmero for them. In his next appearance, Mesmero performed as a hypnotist for the public, taunting audiences as he took what he wanted from them. He tried to kill a critic for calling him bad, and he took mental control of Spider-Man in an attempt to kill more critics, but he was soon defeated. After escaping from prison, Mesmero fled to Canada, and sentinels closed in on him. To keep them back, Mesmero ordered a civilian woman to jump to her death, and Alpha Flight soon defeated Mesmero, with Purple Girl, or Persuasion, Kara Kilgrave, using her powers to overwhelm his. In a revenge plot against the Beast, Mesmero took mental control of Vera Cantor, my own god queen, my favorite character, uh, making her think she was a prostitute before Mesmero was exposed. Mesmero took a job as a hypnotherapist for the rich and famous, giving him wealth and attention. But the Fenris twins attacked him with robots, forcing him to fight Excalibur uh, and take them over. And he made Megan, the character, kiss him before they were freed and he was defeated along with Fenris. Uh, so all of these appearances, quickly summarized, come from X-Men Volume 1, 49 through 52, Classic X-Men 17, Part 2, Uncanny X-Men 111, Amazing Spider-Man 207, Alpha Flight 43, X-Factor 55, and finally Excalibur 32 and 33. Uh, let me turn it over to Alicia. Okay. I'm just going to say a couple words for you all. Greed revenge, abuse of power, and control. These are essentially the staples of who Mesmero is, and all of his actions are led by these things. Time and time again, his plots put innocent lives in danger just to get what he wants. Making a woman jump off of a bridge. Okay, Vera as a prostitute just to get to Beast, what kinds of things did she have to do as a prostitute that had no impact at all on his plot? 
So not only was he puppeting this woman to get what he wanted, but he just put her in endless amounts of danger just for the fun of it. Calling all of those latent mutants to do his bidding. How many people did he put in danger of exposing that they were a mutant because of that? How many lives did he uproot and ruin just to get the X-Men to pay attention to him? Even when he's puppeting the X-Men, he's making them do ridiculous things, acting like they don't know who they are and, and preventing them from saving lives just so that he can make money. He is a villain through and through. He took a doctor whose oath is to do no harm and just tricked him into thinking that something was wrong with him when he was in prison simply because he knew that doctor would have no choice but to go and help him so that he could escape from prison. He only cares about money and power and fame, and he doesn't care about how many people he hurts in the process. And don't even get me started on the countless sexual assault charges that this man has racked up. He will just, he'll have an evil plot and he'll throw in a kiss or two just because he can. Doesn't have anything to do with what he's doing, but he has the ability to make you kiss him. So he's going to do it because he doesn't get love anywhere else. And he really doesn't deserve it because he's not a kind person. So here's the thing. That's my prosecution. He's no good. He's evil. There's really no getting around it. He lives to be evil. He loves to be evil. If we're trying to have some positive points, if we want to look at something and try to find a bright side for this man, we can say that he is loyal, sort of, to Magneto when it suits him. Okay, but he's also loyal to his own cause and he is committed. And those are great character traits. Um, That's really the biggest thing he's got going for him, except for his tiny hint of reform. When he is, you know. Being a hypnotherapist, he's that quote that Chad read earlier, I had written down that quote when I was reading as well. You know, the idea that he does see some value in being good we don't really need to talk about that that value is monetary, um, but he does see some value in being good and he does dream of, of knighthood. So he does reform himself to shift his fame to a institution of valor versus an evil genius. So those are probably his best qualities, um, though I don't know that we can really justify any of his actions in these stories because he really is just trying to better himself and he really doesn't care who gets hurt in the way and he really um, doesn't care if you don't want to kiss him back, he still wants you to kiss him. Uh, Those two stories where he tries to go legit, the one in Spider-Man where he's performing, he's still robbing people. A guy disagrees and he's like, murder him! Uh, and then yeah. when he's in Excalibur, he's he's still controlling people's minds. He's manipulating them. Right. The Fenris twins are also villains here, but he chose to do other stuff. Uh, when he killed that woman in Canada because the Sentinels were coming, uh, you almost want to justify him because he was in danger, but he chose to have this woman murder herself for no reason. 
Uh, it's supposed to get very heinous. I was like, holy shit, when I read that story. Alicia, before we turn to the jury, what was it like for you to read these stories for this character that you didn't know much about? I know you're relatively new to old comics. Yeah. Well, I think aside from just how horrific he is, it was a little, like, in the best way that I can say this, it was a little comical to see how excited he was every time he would do his villainy and 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 just knowing reading it that he was not going to succeed like it's just not going to go well for you dude it's just not it's not but you you give yourself that you know vote of confidence um but i will say i got you know upset when with the just the the lack of need for the sexual things that happened right like that his mindset or his goal was never like when we're talking about mastermind okay he wants to make gene his wife or he's in love with the scarlet witch but all of these instances of sexual assault for him were just like little afterthoughts little things because he could not they didn't have any purpose really and the one that really got me the most was vera because all he needed Vera to do was to say, hey, Hank, follow me into this subway state. Like, that's all he needed her to do. But the fact that he chose to make her a prostitute and, like, work the streets for, like, um, just until Hank happened upon her, I feel <laughs> infuriated by that. Because why? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you that are interested in Vera, go listen to the episode on Patreon with me and Sarah Century talking about Vera Canto for two and a half hours. <laughs> we cover that story in detail. Let me turn this section over to the jury. What questions and comments do you have based on uh, this section that you need to, in order to vote? So he's he's utterly irredeemable and he treats sexual assault like an impulse buy at the store um yes. but were any animals harmed in his crimes <laughs> good question i don't believe so alicia does were there any animals harmed in the sex space i don't i don't think there were any animals although he did run like an entire circus with the oh, x-men so there could have been some animal cruelty in there. Based on what proven? you said, yeah, based on how you've described him so far, it sounds like he might have walked by Piotr and said, juggle those elephants while you're at it. And like, right, right? like how is Kicks. that any different than anything else he's done? And then like Colossus would have been there for like three hours juggling camel and <laughs> And you just know this guy designed his own costume. <laughs> so bad. Uh, any other questions in this section before we vote? It, it's less of a question like, oh, there's so many terrible things that he's doing in this section, but when literal Nazis oppose you, that's, that's a, <laughs> like, you're a bad guy. I mean, like, the Fenris twins are, are Nazis. Like, they're literal Nazis. Like, come on. <laughs> come on. Mesmero might be worse than the Fenris twins, and that is saying something. <laughs> ah! Uh, okay, let's vote in this section. Derek, you first. Um, yeah, so five, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
It's a five for me, if for no other reason than he told that woman to jump to her death when he didn't have to. I mean, there's a lot of other creepy things, but that's the most egregious for me. Uh, Noelle. There's so many different things that earned a five, so a five. And Corey? Easy five. Justin? Five across the board. It's just what? (laughs) (laughs) It gets worse. And then Alicia? Okay, I'm going to say five, but I also just want to throw this out there for those of you who maybe didn't uh, read the issues because you didn't need to. In the Spider-Man issue, there was almost a second jump to death because the reporter who wrote a um, bad review of him was basically about he was trying to get the man to commit suicide in front of everybody for his review. But Spider-Man saved the day. Yeah. Attempted murder as well. Yay, Spider-Man. Hooray for Spider-Man. Okay, that's a 30 <laughs> minute 30. That is, uh, that's bad. This next section's not going to go well. Uh, so trial point two, this is our final one today. It's called Mesmero the Terrible. We have Corey. Corey, welcome to Grand Malkin Lane. I give you the worst <laughs> I was just going to say, you gave me the worst. Like, it, 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 I don't know if anyone else noticed, but I feel like it, things escalated at each point. <laughs> And I was I was thinking to myself, man, Mastermind's really not that bad compared to Mesmero. <laughs> right? Uh, so, uh, so later, Mesmero <laughs> opened a nightclub in Canada and took over the patrons who entered and told them to serve him. This included the young members of Alpha Flight, as well as Sunfire, though they soon broke free. Mesmero was then recruited to join Weapon X, and he ordered soldiers in a war to slaughter each other. He raped Marrow. He made girls kiss and civilians murder an old man in front of him. And then he sent an entire family, including two young mutant children, to a concentration camp to be put to death. This is called Neverland until he lost his own powers and was then sent to to Neverland himself uh, by the director, Malcolm Colcord. Uh, Later, having survived somehow because comic books, Mesmero formed his own Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, worked with an anti-mutant bigot named Lydia Nance, and he spent weeks mentally torturing Rachel Gray, then known as Prestige, in her own mind before she was finally able to repel him. Uh, These stories are included in Alpha Flight Volume 2, numbers 3 through 5, Deadpool number 57, that's the third volume of Deadpool, Weapon X, The Draft, Marrow number 1, Weapon X, number two and number five. And then finally, X-Men Gold, volume two, numbers two, three, 21, 22, and 31. Uh, let me turn it over to Corey. All right. So I'm going to get, I'm going to give my disclaimer too, because I've, I've got, I did some prosecution points. I did some defense points. And uh, a couple of the times I really had to scramble for some of the defense stuff, but we're going to see how it goes. Um, I'm going to start off with the Alpha Flight. So we have uh, we have this gentleman who has started this nightclub. Not only is it a nightclub where he's controlling people, uh, he actually calls it food for thought, which in itself is criminal. It's a, it's a cafe slash nightclub, but his name is Food for Thought. Uh, <laughs> so that that already isn't isn't that great. Uh, but what is it? He's sitting there and he's waiting for, he's waiting for these kids or he's waiting for Alpha Flight to come in and the kids come in and he really, he doesn't waste any time controlling them, uh, controlling them as well. Uh, 
he says he he mastered death, he mastered his powers, and will soon master the world. Uh, so he ends up using using his uh, control over these kids, which happens to go on for a while. I don't I don't know exactly how long it was, but by the time the Alpha Flight main members get there, these kids were already serving him. They were serving the also hypnotized patrons as well. Uh, so everyone in there was under control and he was just sort of operating them like a little dollhouse uh, until things until things escalated. <clears throat> um, let's see. He, uh, he blatantly brags about toying with Gauntlet's mind for months and only stopped because he got bored. He says, like, I did this and it was fun and I really only stopped because I got bored with it. Uh, he, he makes them his servant. Uh, he causes this huge fight uh in the in the restaurant which puts all the civilians in danger so we've we got heroes going at it uh big sasquatch in there smashing things there's there's blade blades and lasers going everywhere uh putting the civilians in danger and then he eventually actually puts them into the fray as well giving them the only weapons that they had available which was their food uh there were a few actual calls out to a food fight that he used to distract everyone. So this gentleman, he he's coming in, he's he's much more confident than the previous versions of him. Uh, he seems to have his stuff together. He seems to have a very well thought out plan. Uh, moving on to some of the other stuff here with the, uh, with the Weapon X. Uh, Mesmero pretended to be someone else and took advantage of Sarah in an extremely vulnerable state which absolutely qualifies as non-consent, therefore rape. He slept with this woman twice under the guise of being a uh, this party goer that she wanted to sort of express her newfound beauty with. Uh, so not only once did he take advantage, twice he took advantage of this woman in the same night. Uh, let's see. This is also, ah, uh, yes. This is also the uh, when he happened to collect a family for for delivery to a concentration camp uh, under the under the well he was paid to do it uh, I might be conflating something never mind I'll I'll skip that part there so along with collecting a family to to be killed in a concentration camp uh, sexually assaulting Sarah. Two times, the uh, the prosecution believes that there's nothing really forgivable about any of this. Uh, even though afterwards he lost his powers, he he suffered. He ended up going to to, to the prison himself. Uh, he still he still did bad things. He did very very bad things. Uh, so moving on to the defense for that. The defense recognizes that Mesmero has made several, several mistakes and has misused his powers. Um, what they will be asking for a reduced sentence based on the fact that, uh, that, let's see how I want to put this. He seems to be, In this situation, at least, he seems to be driven more so by the need for revenge against the anti-mutant woman 
as opposed to doing these things just because he wants to. Yeah, and that's that's it for that one there. That one was a tough one. <laughs> uh, moving on to the X-Men gold stuff. Uh, he Mesmero reformed the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and just like their successor became an extreme terrorist and attacked the United Nations, killing three security guards and an off-duty cop. So, I mean, that's four. That's a really easy to wrap that up right there, four murders. Uh, but on top of that, he kidnapped the mayor, took over old Logan's mind, causing him to fight against his own team, and then lived in and manipulated Rachel's mind for months. Again, that's not something that seems very defensible, actually pretty reprehensible. Um, but if we wanted to defend something like that, we'd say that he's being persecuted as a mutant and has to use what advantages he's been given. They've placed him outside the list. Uh, again, before we move forward, let me just ask, how was it for you to read all those comics? I know you're relatively new to uh, both comics and this character in particular. Uh, well, new, new, definitely new to this character. And it's like I mentioned before, I got a very different Mesmero uh than alicia got i got a very confident in his powers he didn't i mean he lost because he's a villain but he was he was running teams he was making he was masterminding plans he was he was really doing it and then his outfits at least in my three uh iterations they were awesome i thought he looked super cool <laughs> <laughs> He's a, he's a um, good see, but villain. yeah obviously it's tough to it's tough to think i actually sat there with the cursor blinking at me for a solid 15 minutes thinking like come up with something even if it's just ridiculous in <laughs> some of the things are some things i wrote out that i was like i'm never gonna say that i'm not gonna put that out in the world and i backspaced it but yeah we can chat offline with some of the interesting arguments i made <laughs> Yeah, his use in the Weapon X series at all is fascinating because Frank Thierry, you know, kind of handpicked these different characters. But yeah, he was, oof, he's a rough, he, that's a rough story. Uh, so clarifying points we need from the jury before we all vote five, for before we all vote fives. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, I call for man. a mistrial. Derek, go ahead. So uh, probably, uh, like, I know it wasn't part of the prosecution, but I think probably um, I noticed it was a bar outside of Montreal. Um, Quebec has language laws that doesn't allow for English signage. Um, so he was probably in violation of provincial language laws. Um, as well, uh, Canada has, you know, a systematized immigration program. Uh, there's nothing in his background that suggests to me that he would have qualified for immigration to Canada or to own a business or something. So he probably just drove to the border and said, let me in. And so that's like, he wasn't legally let in. So there's also that going on too. Um, as far as his uh, upgrade in clothes, uh, yeah, Montreal does have good fashion. <laughs> This character spent a lot of time in Canada. After the Sentinels chased him up there, he was there for a while. <laughs> uh, and I, I really got a kick out of the out of the Canadian characters, like the their that whole team. That was just that was a hoot. <laughs> Alpha Flight's great. It's uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and by the way, Radius, the character you mentioned, is the son of Eunice the Untouchable. If anyone did not know that little factoid, okay. there you go. Uh, so He's kind of a turd. <laughs> Let's vote in this section, Ben. Uh, we're all just going to do it at the same time. Hold up your hands if you uh, 
<laughs> it is fives, fives, fives across the board, which gives Mesmero the first and distinctive honor of 100% asshole score on Gray Malkin Lane trials. So I want to follow up this time. Uh, the very next podcast I record after this is going to be a focused discussion with an all-female group. Uh, where we are going to analyze characters that we would not discussed today who use mind control for sexual assault. And we've taken a character, we've taken a story from the 40s, the 60s, all the way up to 2010s. And we're just going to look at the changing portrayal of these types of storylines over time and have a more sensitive discussion about sexual assault. Uh, so for those of you that have been triggered or would like to follow that up, the very next episode we release after that will be that panel discussion. Uh, and we have a lot of really incredible, talented people coming in with some fascinating storylines, including a lot of other creepy villains like Mandrel and Puppet Master and Purple Man, uh, etc. So uh, feel free to join us back for that. Uh, let me hear any final thoughts as we examine these two characters. This was a rougher trial than some. Often these trials are fun and I had fun today, but these stories were like, oh, like they hit you in a different place than a lot of the trials we do with Toad or Blob or whoever. Uh, let me just kind of check on everybody. Do you have any final thoughts before we do our <laughs> outros in a second? How's everyone doing? For me, it was I'm, really, I'm doing great. Yeah, great. Go for it, Alicia, really, sorry. No, you're good, you're good. It was really satisfying to get Mesmero to 100% asshole. <laughs> I, I was kind of, you know, reading and, and getting ready for this trial and thinking, if he doesn't get 100%, I don't know, like, how I'm going to sleep at night. You know? <laughs> so I'm glad that this group of people all agrees that he's the worst. And that makes me feel better. Yeah. Again, I will share, I will share, even though I asked you guys just reading those comics, like by myself at the table, I, I, I read my comics in the morning with my coffee. So I was like reading that like raping of, of Marrow's story. And that story in particular, by the way, Marrow is this character who is, uh, she's a Morlock, she's pink skinned, like bone outgrowths. Uh, and there's a storyline where very uncomfortably she gives up her mutation and becomes beautiful. And it's explored in the comics when she's a member of the X-Men for a while. But there, the part of that story that's about her is she delved into beauty and let herself be interested in someone and then was raped anyway. Uh, so there, there's a component to that, that particular issue because she's a member of Weapon X as well. That's so dark. It's the roughest Mesmero story. Uh, for me out of all of them and there's some hard ones but that one in particular the callousness of the rape uh, is is rough it's a hard story to read you know, but let me turn it back to you guys how's everybody doing yeah. <laughs> people and their terrible deeds professor xavier is not that bad he's really just not that bad he's, you know he's, he's got a, a lot of responsibility figure. he makes a lot of questionable choices he's a terrible father but we didn't do any of those things He's a he's a liar and a manipulator, but he's not a yeah. rapist unless we go to Gabrielle Haller, in which the conversation gets a little more uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any other? Oh, Jerry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like you're you're saying this was a heavy one, and it is. But I mean, if we were only judging their Silver Age actions, you know, we would have had a different kind of tone of show and a different sort of set of things if you include the bronze age as well i don't think it gets too much worse like it you know M mastermind would have beat out mesmero i think although it's it's a bit close because they were both 
in Claremont's run. Um, and I think it only like when you get post like 90s onward that, you know, comics were going other places where they weren't going in the Bronze Age or Silver Age. So, so yeah, I mean, um, comics are taking on different topics more overtly and, you know, in subtext. So, yeah, it, it, uh, it, it depends where the line is. And if you take all of their history, yeah, there's a lot of uh, openings there for really bad stuff. Absolutely. Uh, Noelle, what were you going to say? Oh, no. I thought you had a thought. But are you doing okay, Noel? Oh yeah. Um I like getting to judge people and they're this bad. I'm with Alicia. He deserved a hundred. That's yeah. That's good. <laughs> uh, crazy crazy. Uh Corey, what were you gonna say? And then we'll wrap up here. Uh, I I was gonna say I, I uh that it it was a tough read uh for me and it, it helped me realize that whether I'm on the good team or the bad team, I don't, I think one of my character traits would be that I, I just couldn't trust a telepath, no matter what. I would never, ever, ever trust a telepath. <laughs> and I also know that I'd like to see, I'd be interested in seeing some really interesting and creative uses of these powers that aren't sexual at all. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Which might be a little bit tougher, but that's, uh, think it would be yeah make it a lot more interesting there yeah so so Corey just just a minor point the telepath can make you trust them <laughs> 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 never know if they, if they had uh okay I know uh for all of you here and for all of you listening it's a big commitment to listen to these but preparation for these takes a lot of effort and time so thank you for everyone who put in the effort to read these stories and to come and have these silly mock trials with me. Uh, these are my favorite episodes to record. I get so much joy and light and knowledge from them. And I will forever associate these characters with these conversations. Uh, this leaves me always walking away, like thinking, okay, what story would I write? Like, what would I do? I've literally sat down and wrote like blob and toad stories after our trials. Uh, Mesmero and Masterman, I don't want to write about, <laughs> but they're interesting to think about. Uh, so uh, the ethics of telepathy is something I'm going to be thinking of for a long time too, which I also did after the Xavier trial. Uh, as we are wrapping up, where can everybody find each of you online if they'd like to follow your social media content? And is there anything that you would like to plug or announce coming up, recognizing this issue or this episode's coming out around October 4th? Uh, Gray Malkin Lane can be found on Gray Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter or Gray Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. We've got some great stuff coming between now and the end of the year and some fun new announcements as we start our program into 2023. I always announce our next character trial at the end of these and listeners will not be surprised, but our next trial is going to be the trial of Havoc, uh, which was a blast to research. I'm super excited to record that one in a month. Uh, we will be putting out uh, uh, episodes right around the time of this trial. The next one is the uh, panel discussion, as I mentioned. And on the Patreon, right, as we're releasing this, I will also be putting out an episode about the, the mutant character Solar, who nobody knows about, uh, with, uh, with Steve Fox. And uh, we're going to have a great time uh, putting that together for you. Uh, so let's go uh, with uh, Justin and Alicia first, then Derek, Noel, Corey. Okay. Great. So you can find us all over the internet at the ex-wife podcast. That's T-H-E-X 
W-I-F-E, as in X-Men, not former wife. Um, and if you also want to follow me and my cosplay journey, you can find me at Wilder Moves, like M-O-V-E-S Moves. And uh, what we got coming up. I mean, we're, we're deep in Judgment Day currently. We talk about the current books. We talk about Krakoa. We talk about what's going on in those stories. But also we'll be talking to a creator on the X line who uh, we're actually really excited about to record this week. So by the time this comes out, you can head to our page and listen to our interview with Jerry Dugan. Oh my God. Duggan, dang it. I that's asked a, specifically. <laughs> that's a big deal to yeah. get an interview with Jerry, you guys. Congratulations. Yeah. He's so, so great on interviews, too. He's a great. We're going to talk to him about X Men, but we're also going to talk to him about a new photo book that he has out now. It so, heavy work. Yeah. I've been diving into that. Yeah. So, we're really excited to have him on the show um, and chat with him. So, that's our, that's our biggest news. Congratulations. Uh, let's go Thank to you. Derek and the Noel. Uh, so I'm findable uh, on a website or Twitter by just my name with no spaces. So D-E-R-E-K is Derek. And my last name is Kunsken, K-U-N-S-K-E-N. Um, and uh, I have two books coming out in the next eight or nine months. Um, Flight from the Ages and Other Stories is my first collection. It's going to be out in December. And then uh, House of Saints is the conclusion to my Venus series, and it's coming out next April. I just got the dates and started seeing covers from my publisher and stuff. So hopefully soon I'll be able to post a few things about that. Congratulations, man. I love hearing that you've got this great stuff coming up. Uh, you're such a brilliant writer. Uh, I'm so happy for you. Uh, oh, Noelle. Yeah, you can find um, my podcast, X-Men Unraveled, wherever you listen, or on Instagram at x-men unraveled um i follow the stories of the x-men in chronological order so working my way through and then lastly corey all right well i uh i am said it before i am not a content creator i'm a content consumer but if anyone was as crazy as they wanted to find me they can just listen to all the old episodes of gray malkin that they haven't listened to yet and maybe they'll catch me on a few and I also have a Patreon episode with Barnard the Poet where we we do death jam poetry together. Chat yeah, so we we had a, a lot of fun. fun time. <laughs> that was, that was a hilarious podcast. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good fun. All right, everybody, thank you so much for the gift of your time and talents today, and everyone for listening. Uh, we will see you back here next time on Grand Malkin Lane. Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Graham Alkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Alkin Lane. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. 
Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.